Guys, I am so excited about the show today. We have Richard Miles from Miles of Freedom and CNN Top 10 Hero of the Year nominee for 2019 on the show with us today. He's going to talk about his organization, Miles of Freedom. He's going to talk about his wrongful conviction. He did 15 years in prison for a murder and aggravated assault that he did not commit. And it was all based on inaccurate or faulty testimony. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the judicial system, prison system, and the parole system. What's wrong with it? How can we fix it? Is it possible to be fixed? And he's going to tell us his favorite NFL football team as well. So stick around. Let's do a background check. Let's go. Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead. Check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. No. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Radio, brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with the past realize their future. If you want to know more about Forgiven Felons and what we do outside of this podcast, check us out on the web, ForgivenFelons.org, Facebook and social media, Instagram, Twitter, look up Forgiven Felons. You can find out all the updates for our ministry. But I want to get started with this interview. CNN Top 10 Hero of the Year nominee for 2019. He's a personal friend of mine, Richard Miles. He runs Miles of Freedom, helping people with reentry and everybody in the community impacted by incarceration. He's going to tell us more about that. So let's get the show going. All right, Richard Miles, welcome to Background Check. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is an honor. I've known you for a while. I don't even know if you know this, uh, but I have a friend named Greg Miller. He was on our board. Okay. Um, He's actually going to be on a, on one of the episodes because um, he actually went back to prison. He made okay. some mistakes and he went back to prison. But I don't know how long ago it was. It seems like maybe several years ago. And he called me and, and I don't know what he did with you, your ministry, or if he just heard about it. But he said, hey, man, have you ever heard of Richard Miles and Miles of Freedom? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, at that time I hadn't. And so he was trying to tell me about it. And then I just kept running into other people that say, Hey, have you met Richard Miles? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And then finally, I think one day we talked on the phone a few years ago Yes. and, uh, you know, little did I know that, that I was talking to a future CNN <laughs> top 10 nominee hero of the year. I didn't even, but, uh, <laughs> but man, you know, the more I got to hear about your story, the more I got to know about your story, um, it just really impressed me and, and touched me because, you know, I know why I do what I do. Right. Because I did my crime. Yes, sir. And I deserved my time. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I, I saw a need while I was in there. And, and that's why I do what we do at Forgiven Felons. Right. But, man, I could not for the longest time and it, it wrap my head around how you, you know, still after all those years wrongfully incarcerated, um, would have the, I don't know, I don't know what you call it. You'd probably right. explain it to me here in a little bit when I let you talk. But uh, but for those of you who don't know, this is Richard Miles, CNN, yes. top 10 hero of the year nominee. I'm pretty sure 
even though you didn't win, I bet you got a close second. Did they give you the rankings? You know what? I as far as the treatment is done, they yeah. did not give me the rankings, <laughs> but the treatment was was a top number two. Treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe so at least it, you. Uh, it was real <laughs> nice, man. I, I they did not. They don't tell you who got second place up, but what I will say is, um, we stayed at the Marriott uh, across from Central Park, and I had a separate room. From from where everybody else was saying oh, it wow. could have been the only room. <laughs> I don't know. Just coincidence. <laughs> coincidence. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a suite, and I was like, yeah. So it was ex- an exciting experience. Uh, so thank you for just this opportunity and platform. And I've been hearing a lot about Jay and forgiven felons. Uh, so I'm glad that we're able to sit down and, and network and get. I know for out. I know for my my part and and all the several thousand on social media that follow us. Uh, I know a lot of people that don't even know you, but when I put your story out there, right. they're like, hey, I voted, I voted, I voted well, we 10 need times, I voted 10 times. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. more people are getting to know your story now. And and um, But how did all that start? How yeah. Did, how did, how did, did, did CNN just call you and go, hey? No, no. So, man, real, real funny story. Uh, I have a board, uh, one of my board of directors, her name is Trisha Bridges. And I was introduced to Trisha probably about 2013, 14, um, from a good friend. And Trisha built nonprofits up. And so Trisha came on, she joined our board. And uh, last year she gave me a call and she was like, hey, uh, I just heard about a CNN hero nomination show and I want to submit your story. And she went online. She said, I don't know if anything happened from it. This, I think this was about in May or June of last year. And I blew it off. And next thing I know, I'm getting a call from uh, California and it's CNN, you know, and they're like telling me that um, I've been nominated. Um, And it was like 18 people in the beginning. And they was just highlighting. So the first stage is to highlight. They vet your story. They vet your organization because they like for the person to have a non-profit to receive resources from. So they vetted everything. We made it to this like 18. And from there, I think it was who creates more traction video and stuff like that. We received over 1 million views on our uh, CNN uh, little clip. And I think that pushed us up to the top, and we get the call that we now made it to the top ten. Wow! And that's when the voting really started. Um, and and that was when? What what month was that? This was October, November. Okay. October, November uh, is when the voting kicked in. Uh, so for about three months, two two months, two to three months, it was just a different heat CNN highlight. Right, right. And it was rolling all of them out. And CNN picks the 10 out of the uh, whole 18. Okay. Uh, everybody was raising monies, if yeah, you yeah, remember, yeah. around that yeah. time. But the top 10 go up to this next level. Man, we got the phone call and... You know, for people, and I'm quite sure you too, if somebody was to say, man, I want to acknowledge the work that you've done with Forgiven Felons, it comes from a dark place. So yeah. it's really not an award right. or an acknowledgement yeah, yeah, yeah. to us. You know, it's something that, uh, but when you go there, yeah. Yeah. you start being like, okay, I think I, 
Let me take our time to pat myself on the back. And I think that's what God wants us to do. Yeah, you know, because he knows we're not going to pat ourselves on the right, back. Right, right, And he's right. got to find a way uh, yes. to, to do that, to yes. let us know, hey, yes. Love, yes. you are doing some good. Yes, you are you're good. good. I, I want to elevate you because I know in its essence you're going to elevate me. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And you did the whole time, man. You gave God all the glory. Yes, sir. And, uh, and man, it was really... So... Uh, so at the very end, I guess they 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 decided to match, do a matching donation yeah. fund, and and uh, we donated to that, and that was awesome that they yes. did that. Yes. Uh, yes. Did you know they were going to do that beforehand? I didn't know anything about the matching funds. You know, you try to read up on it because you try to figure out what's going to happen. You know, and so we raised about forty thousand dollars. Subaru went ahead and matched. The Subaru, that's who Subaru. it was. Yeah, yeah. So we got a total organizationally out of the project. We got a total of about a ninety thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. Praise God. Amen. Wow. Because the crazy thing is, when we started this in two thousand and twelve, I started with a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for my exoneration. Okay. We've never had a year where we went in financially with a surplus. Okay. Biggest grant that we've gotten over eight years was with Hoblitzell Foundation, and that was for twenty five thousand dollars. Gotcha. So to go into a year where you have excess and you've been doing this for six or seven years it takes a whole weight yeah. off your shoulders yeah yeah you know? yeah that's uh, awesome you still penny pinching yeah oh i believe me <laughs> i think i think uh the greek word the greek phrase for 501c3 yeah is penny, penny pinching pinch, yeah <laughs> with our picture right beside yes, it <laughs> yes yes yeah um so Okay, I mean, it wasn't always this, uh, you know, fame no. and this. It wasn't always this way, man. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we no, gotta, no. we gotta tell the backstory of how yeah. you got yeah. to to where you are running this organization. Your organization is called Miles of Freedom. Okay, and, yeah. and what exactly do you do? Yeah, so the mission of Miles of Freedom in general is to provide holistic services for individuals, families, and communities impacted by incarceration. We feel as an organization that it's more than just providing a job right. or a resume for a person yeah. coming home from prison because so much has been disrupted from the point of incarceration. The family structure has been disrupted. The community has been disrupted. So you can't just take these single um, approaches to dealing with a holistic problem. Right. And so that's what we try to do. We have these case management services for people that's returning home from prison. Or if you've been out, it doesn't matter how long the uh, incarceration has been because reentry to us is an everyday process. And that's what I was going to ask because, you know, I get calls all the time for people that yes. have already been out for a while that maybe made some bad choices or back in a restart mode again. And, yeah. And they just need help, you know, and. And, uh, and Forgiven Felons doesn't provide all the re-entry sources. We provide housing and some relationship and life skills and some computer skills, but we, we aren't where you guys and some other re-entry programs are right, uh, right. yet. And, and we're going we're gonna to put a link uh, in the show notes of how to get a hold of you guys. Yes, sir. Uh, but if you want to just, I mean, people can go yeah. to the website right now. Yeah, people, you can go to the website, www.milesoffreedom.org. You can uh, check us out on Facebook. Um, you know, and to your point of, to me, I've been out what ten years now, and I'm still dealing with a lot of yeah. the long. I think the longer you stay out, the more doors yeah. open up yeah, yeah, that yeah. we had to close right. while we was incarcerated, right. yeah. and we don't really know what situation would trigger a door to open. Yeah, and so organizations like ours have to be 
the front line. Yes. They yes. have to have somebody to call because now they're experiencing right. a pandemic and they don't know what to do right now. You know, it's a different situation. It's a different beast. And so reentry to us is, in, in, you know, indefinite. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so let's back up now. Yes. How yes. did you get to the point where before you had yeah. miles of freedom and before you were CNN hero nominee, right. You were uh, the mid nineties. Yes, you were just mid- walking down the street one night. Yeah, so I mean, tell us the tell us the short version of it. And, and the reason I say short version for everyone yeah. listening is because he has a longer version. Uh, yeah. If you've seen the ABC TV show For Life, yes, um, that that show that uh, the man that the show is based on is yeah. Isaac Wright. Yes, and he hosts a podcast called For Life, mm-hmm. and they interview wrongfully convicted. Uh, people and, and Richard Miles' full story with his yes. mom. Yeah, that's yeah. what a great, she's a, what a great changer. man. She's a great storyteller yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so if you want to hear his full story? We're going yeah. to share the short version of it here. Right. But the full story go to uh, the For Life the podcast and Richard Miles is I think the second episode. Yes. Yes. So uh, download that. Listen to that. Yes. And the other ones are good too. I've yeah. listened to a couple yeah. of the other ones too. I, they I, are. I, I need to. I need to go back on a list of the last two or three, but. But the first one was awesome. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey, yes. Jeffrey Deskovich. Uh, I mean, you know, so big shouts to, you know, ABC for that project. Thank you for that. Um, but, yeah, it was May, May 15, 1994. Um, you know, I had graduated from high school and um, actually still working. Um, I stayed in North Dallas by Love Fair Airport, and my friend drove me because we were spending the um, day in Robin Oaks Apartments which is in Oak Cliff, another part of Dallas. He drove me from Oak Cliff to North Dallas because the buses had stopped running. His girlfriend stayed right around the corner from me, and I was walking home, and in the process of me walking home, uh, I was picked up by the police. Uh, Apparently, about 30 to 40 minutes prior to us getting to North Dallas, a shooting had happened at a Texaco by Bachman Lake. The description was uh, African-American male, 6264, real dark-complected, uh, white shirt and shorts, and I was picked up in the vicinity, 5758, white shirt and pants. Um, now, they connected my position uh, because the witness followed the getaway car. So a person did a shooting at a Texaco. Okay. Uh, a car comes to pick the guy up. The guy drives off. The witness, one of the 10 witnesses, jumps in his car, follows this car, he sees the guy get out at the Sewell Cadillac shops on Lemon and runs into the houses. He makes a U-turn, gets a good look at him, goes to the Texaco. Then he gives the description of the shooter. Gotcha. The police then do the dispatch, and here I come, hmm. walking up the street. Uh, and I think the Innocence Project figured about 20 minutes later from wow. the time for him getting from that point back to the Texaco and the dispatch going out. Wow. And so that's how they connected yeah. where I was okay. walking to this scene that was probably about six or seven miles away. Anyway, went to uh, the, went to the detective, gave phone numbers. All of that happened, ended up getting incarcerated, $350,000 bond for a murder and attempted murder. Somebody got killed that night and somebody was shot. I was 19 years old. Uh, stayed in the county jail 17 months, go, went to jury you didn't trial. have bond money to get out? No, didn't have bond money to get out. You know, I was raised up in a, my, you know, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a disabled veteran. I have two younger brothers and an older sister. So, you know, 
that type of money wasn't nowhere even close to me asking for him. Um, but ended up going to jury trial in August of 1995. Uh, overwhelming evidence in our favor. Ten witnesses, nine of them said I didn't do it. My alibis, all of my alibis came to testify. The guy that got shot testified that I didn't look like the shooter, but they had one guy that said I did it, and they had a gumbler success that they, that they said came back positive. Um, so at the end of seven days, I got a total of 60 years in TDC. Wow. Um, signed for the 60 years, and I was sent to Cofield Unit. And um, I got the Cofield Unit about the age of 20, 21, and and, I, and and that that cofield back then is way different yeah, than the cofield now. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> there's yeah. a there's a revival going on right yeah, now, but it was uh, yeah, it was, it was not this was back before then. the safe prisons. <laughs> this was before all of that. It was in between the Ruiz and safe. yes, yes, it was a transformation yes. stage. But uh, yeah, so I, I ended up getting to cofield unit, and, and I still thank God even in that because I think that there was a lot of other units that I could have been yes, sent to. Yes. yes. At that young of an age, I think about Telford and all those younger units, yep. you know, so God's hand was even in that. Yeah. Ended up doing a total of 15 years in prison for a crime that I did not commit. Uh, so it, where, where were you spiritually at this point? So so before I got, before I went to prison, so my dad found Jesus when he was, when I was about six years old. Okay. And he was the type, when he found it, he shoved it down everybody's throat. <laughs> so... I, I feel you on that. You yeah. know I, I had a I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My mom yeah. drugged me to church every day. And I'm talking. I think my dad had made up church services. So, from the context of knowing the word, because it was what was presented to yeah. us, I knew the word. Yeah. Um, but the testing, the trying of my faith, had not been through a process. Oh yeah. And at this early stage of wrongful incarceration, getting 60 years, and opening up my eyes on Cofield Unit, the trying of my faith. And, and I remember paralleling my life to Joseph. And okay. I was like, okay, God, if you're real, if all of this stuff is real that we've been reading in the Bible, if this is real, God, I'm in a Joseph situation. And I yeah, need you to Because he was a falsely accused falsely sex offender. Accused. Sex offender. <laughs> yeah. Sex offender. So, uh, yes. So you were already, you know, your heart was well yes. established. You, yes. You, even though you knew what you were going through was wrong, your yes. faith, you were it grounded. Was, you were yes. grounded. Okay. Even to the point, that, so my dad, my dad passed six months before I got out, but the ministry started way before. I mean, our church was sending me Sunday school books. Okay. And so I'm on Cofield in the day room and we're doing Sunday school lessons. And so now before wow. this started, wow. I was getting like $45 a month on my books. I didn't know that my dad then was sending everybody that joined the class. Oh my, are you serious? To write. Cause they didn't want the stamps to be on them. So I'm like, man, why is my money going down to $20? <laughs> You should have started charging them a tax. I need $5 from each of you. Yeah, one of the guys was like, man, your church sent me $10. I said, what? <laughs> but so the, the need awesome. to be what church is that? God's Holy Church of Christ. Okay. So now my mom is the pastor. When my dad passed, she started facilitating as a minister. I'm a Sunday school teacher uh, at this same church. But so the, the compassion for people incarcerated was was a something that my dad saw and he was implementing it through me. Yeah, he was yeah, like, well, wow. we're gonna take advantage of this. Wow, that's awesome. 
this situation. Uh, and so that's that's what I did while I was incarcerated. Very, but very early on, I met a guy named Benjamin Spencer. And I talk about Ben. I've heard you talk about him before, yeah. I, I have to because Ben was my encouragement. Ben was is a wrongfully incarcerated man, over 30 years in prison. And I met him the first day I got to Cofield Unit. And that was important because I felt like I was the only person that had ever been wrongfully incarcerated. Mm. And just to imagine if you find nobody else going through the yeah, same yeah, yeah. hell that you're going through, then that's an overwhelming space to be in. Yeah. So I think meeting him let me know that you're not walking alone. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I, and I think it was Elijah when uh, um, when Jezebel. Yeah. And he ran into the hills. And because he got discouraged, and then you done just did all this, you done brought all this fire down and, and kept him. He had to encourage him yeah. in that cave. And so yeah. Ben met me, and he was innocent. He said, Man, you need to write this organization. And I wrote him, but that gave me this assurance that you're not alone. And was that the Centurion? Centurion. Okay. So Ben um, gave me the order, uh, address to Centurion Ministries. I sat down that night in 1997 and wrote, them, wrote my first letter to an organization. Uh, and they sent me a letter back probably about a week later. Uh, it was stating that uh, due to the overwhelming responses, a person spends a minimum of 10 years in prison before we're able to get on their mm. case. Wow. But Texas just gave me 60. So <laughs> I got 50 to. <laughs> now, did that discourage yeah. you? Like, did, did, did you feel like you had to wait? It was mixed. It was mixed, you know, because I felt like, hey, I'm innocent now. What do I need? I can't even fathom 10 years. Yeah. Because I'm know? still going to be just as innocent 10 years right. from now as I am now. Right. But nobody else was writing back. Right. So I'm writing all these other radio stations. And, and so to get a response, was better than was not getting yeah, a response yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, it may not have been a response that I would have wanted. So you seem just from you talking right now, you were very grounded in your faith. Was there yeah. ever a point that you were kind of like, oh, not yeah. mad at God, but just like, okay, God, I don't understand this. Yeah. What's going on? You know, and I know you already kind of referenced the Joseph thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, some people would be mad at God, you know, and I know you posted one time on your Facebook Somebody from another state, that old man did like 43 years or whatever. And yeah. he said, I ain't got time to be mad. Right, right, right. Yeah, but keep in mind, I said, I ain't got time. <laughs> Which meant I've already invested. Yeah, yeah. That, man, when I was in prison, yeah, anger. Uh, you know, I turned, uh, when I turned 30, uh, I had did 11 years in prison. And it's something about the time when a man turns 30 or when an individual turns 30, they take... Uh, kind of like a rec uh, accountability on it. Yeah. Like they look yeah, back yeah. up. And I had not accomplished anything. And I had hit a spot then that my appeals had gotten denied. Um, my, my, my girlfriend, both of them had left me. You know, uh, I'm in prison uh, around these people that, you know, are guilty. Uh, so the reality of the weight began to, way on me and I, I gave up you know you did yeah I, I, I at mean 30? at 30 at 30 because it, it's like I was even to a point of becoming institutionalized and somebody had to pull my coattail right in that aspect because of, I was working in the infirmary and so they look at you differently um, but at the age of 30 11 years now I'm looking downhill because I had to do 20 years flat hmm. 
And so now I'm like, okay, now I'm getting ready to go home right. so I can catch myself. But I was more physically in the chapel than I was spiritually yeah, in the gotcha. chapel. You know, uh, I'm going now more so to get out of the cell, not to stay in connection. Yeah. Um, and that was an interesting time for me, you know. Um, so, yes, I, I, I did get upset. How did you come out of that? Did God send send you somebody or yeah. get an answer from Centurion and say we're on it? Or what? It, it, a couple of things. So the, the the first thing was it was a young lady that worked in the infirmary, and I was an SSI, and so she would come in and she would say. For those of you who don't oh, know what SSI is, it's basically a janitor, and yeah. a custodian, whatever you want to Sorry, call it. I got caught up in the. <laughs> well, I knew Jay would get it. You know what? I, I got it. When I go speak at churches and I and I just, yeah. I'm flowing and I say ad seg, I got to yeah, stop yeah, yeah, and yeah, explain yeah. that that's solitary confinement. All right, that. right. Sorry. We, no, it's all right. We need the footnote version. <laughs> no, but so I, I'm an SSI and I'm standing up and I got the broom in my hand and just imagine these nurses coming in and they say, good morning, Miles. And my response is, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so they looking at me. So this goes on about yeah. a couple of weeks, and this, I'm new in the environment. Okay. And so the lady pulls me to the side one day, and she's like, Miles, we always say good morning, and your response is, all right, all right. What does that mean? And it was the first time that I had been challenged on my responses. Yeah. And it was the first time that I thought to myself, I had been waking up 11 years not saying good morning. Wow. And she challenged me because I'm in a different position. You know, life transforms us and, and sometimes God wakes us up to show us you're in a different position. You got to act differently if you want to stay in this position. Right, 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 right. And so the next day they came in, I said, good morning, Miles. And Good morning. <laughs> you forced it out, didn't I you? I <laughs> forced it because the day is still the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she pushed me to look at the morning. That's so good. The morning, and that's what I put on Facebook uh, last week, the morning is good in itself. Yep. So why not give the morning its credit and its Whether due? you have, what, no matter what your outlook is, <laughs> the morning is still good. It, it don't change so might as well morning. line it up. Line what up with it. You know? Yeah, so. so give credit to yeah. whom credit is due. So and, good. And when I said that, I began to look at the situations yeah, differently. Yeah. And this was 11 years. Um, and Centurion picked up my case two years later. Wow. 13 years. Wow. So that, that that opened up my 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 path, my my breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we you know when when God created man, he breathed. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes life we get suffocated. Situations suffocate us. And I, I was getting suffocated in prison just with the realities yeah. of it and trying to do it my way. And because this lady pulled me to the side and showed me it's a good morning, it opened up my airways. Wow. Wow. So so Centurion started. Yeah. Uh, and that was 13 years in. Yes. Yes. So now it's what year is it? It's uh two it's two thousand and seven. So it's two thousand and seven okay. lockdown in my cell. <laughs> <laughs> These people don't know what lockdown yeah. is. They, they will oh, never they oh won't know God. they won't know what a Johnny Sack is. I, I pray that you guys do. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and this is institutional lockdown. Yes, yes, yes. So, but yeah, it's institutional lockdown, and um, 
my job did not give me the uh, accessibility of getting out. <laughs> so, so when Sir, Centurion picked it up and they start working on it, yeah, you know, 2007. So, how does that process? Yeah, so um, one of the big differences was um, I never had my transcripts. And so I did my own writ of habeas corpus or my appeal to the courts with no uh, records to validate my claims of actual innocence. So it was denied. The first thing that Centurion did was when they took my case, they mailed my transcripts to me. So I'm in in my cell on lockdown and I'm reading my four volumes of my transcripts. Wow. and, and, and really, I'm reliving all of this traumatically. And I think that's probably why we were able to get out and not be as angry. Right. Because at some point, we were able to relive the to whole walk experience. And to process it all. And Before gotcha. we got out. Before you got out. Yeah. So I'm processing this here. And then I went to the police records. Uh, my dad had purchased my police records about four years prior. Sent them to me. No real evidence in them. 25 pages. Centurion Ministries. 85 pages. Wow. And it showed me. Why do you, why do you. So what I feel I've understood was there are two types of documents, two types of documents. Okay. You have sanitized documents that just has the police report. Gotcha. And you have the unsanitized or the working documents that has every piece of paper and note that that detective gotcha. has done. And because you didn't know which one to ask for, your dad didn't know. He just they just gave him the one that gave they, the, the, the most common one. Most right. common one. Gotcha. But it was in the unsanitized report that one of the first pages was a phone call that the police officer's homicide received about this girl that was telling him, "Man, my boyfriend has did this shooting." And these are the people that he did it with. Wow. And this was months before I went to jury trial. And the guy gave reference to our case wow. in this document. Wow. He said, I found a case in May of last year that fits this. And all you got to do is go to these people. So that was the first piece of evidence that was in the police records that was before jury trial that was never turned in, along wow. with the assault charges that the victims had. They had just beat up a guy and pulled a shotgun on him, didn't follow up on. So it was a lot of evidence in the police records that was never turned in. Wow. And that is Brady violations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that began to turn the key to let me out was the failure to disclose exculpatory evidence okay. favorable to the defendant. But now, did they, I mean... Your case wasn't fully done when they let you go. No, no, no. Did they let you go earlier than they should have because they knew you had a case working yes. that looked like you might be innocent? So when I got out, so this they started my case in 2007. I didn't walk out of prison until 2009. Okay. And so in that time frame, all of this evidence that was deprived from jury trial was enough evidence that if presented during jury trial, it would have gave reasonable doubt that you got the right person. Gotcha, gotcha. So that opened the door for me to get out of prison. Now for actual innocence, that's a Herlakian task. Okay. The, the law calls it, we can let a person out based upon constitutional violations and constitutional errors. But before we claim you actually innocent, that's a whole nother wall yeah. that you're going to have to catapult yeah. over. It's probably not easy too, because then that means it's, they have to compensate you. They got to compensate <laughs> and you. there's money involved. And you right. know as well as I do that the system is all about the money. It's all about the money. <laughs> and even before that, to get claimed actually innocent, that means the court system is saying, 
we were actually yeah. wrong. And they don't like they do not like to admit that. Oh no, no. <laughs> I will pay you before I say I'm wrong. Here's a check. Just don't say we were just, wrong. Just yeah. don't say we were wrong. And so when I got out in 2009, uh, thankfully, Dallas had elected District Attorney Craig Watkins. The Conviction Integrity Unit was that vehicle that looked into wrongful incarcerations, and they picked up the case as well, and they saw the overwhelming evidence, and they could not refute it. And so they joined forces basically with the Innocence Organization, vetted, went and talked to the guy that was in the document, went and talked to the guy that pointed me out. His statement now was that the prosecutor told him mm. to point me out. Mm. He said the prosecutor had my picture the day of trial, and he had been telling the guy, I said, man, I don't really know for sure who did this shooting. He said, this is Richard. He'll be sitting next to his attorney. When you go in, just point him out. So he signs an wow. affidavit in two. I mean, we see stuff like that in, in documentaries. Right. And right. we know what happens for real. Right. But to sit here across from somebody right. on a personal level, knowing that a friend of mine... Yeah, actually went through that, you know, where they, somebody just made up. They were coerced to make up something. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, it's intense. It's intense. It's intense. So they, so they, so that, so they recanted. He got a recantation. The other piece of evidence, if people were like, and now this guy is a police officer. So when he testified, he wasn't a police officer. He's te- oh, wow. so he so his credibility. The guy, guy just put things yeah, in my yeah, case yeah, to yeah, where yeah. you couldn't refute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His credibility was on the line, so ain't just know anybody finna come up and just recant, and your credibility right. is on the line. So that was one thing. The other thing was the GSR test, the gunshot residue test. So it was taken back in 1994 when I was arrested. Handcuffs were still on, and it came back positive in the palm of my right hand, but negative anywhere else. So they were saying that the gunpowder was just here. Number one, I'm left-handed. Number yeah. two, if you shoot a gun, it's going to come when the shooter is going right. to shoot back. Nothing else was dirty. So what happened was it was either the way that they conducted the test where the swab hit the handcuff, which contaminated, or laying out on the ground because gunpowder is made of antimonium and barium. Okay. Or it could have been when you're sitting in the back of the yeah, police how, car. Yeah, because yeah, it had to be something back you, there. Yeah. You're holding because the palm of your right hand holds the handcuff cross-transference. Fast forward, we did not have um, the evidence, we didn't have an expert witness during trial. Centurion Ministries got an expert witness to look at the test. Wow. The test was negative for gunpowder anywhere. Wow. So they took this test to Swift, the lady that testified. She looks at it, she signs an affidavit stating that you're correct. If given an opportunity, I could not and would not testify in the same manner. Wow. This test is negative for shooting or handling a gun. And when they asked her why did she testify in that manner, she said the only thing that I can think of is it was the way that the prosecutors had asked the questions. So once again, you had a piece of evidence that was positive but what was it positive from right right was right. it positive from shooting them and this is 30 minutes after so this is 30 minutes after a shooting where two people didn't got killed overwhelming the result there, there would be a lot more than that right, right. i mean i'm no gun missing, expert i'm no you know uh, ammo or residue expert but yeah. i would just think if you actually did shoot a person yeah. and another person I mean, how many shots, how many shots, you know, 
Yeah, you you would have had a lot more residue. And it was I think there's like I think there's like ten or twelve uh, shell casings. So it was a lot of shooting. Another wow. thing was the description of the shooter: real dark complected. Yeah, six two six four. The state response was okay. Okay, I know Mr. Miles isn't dark complected, but. He was in the county jail 17 months and he has not been in the sun. <laughs> and that's why he is. But the logic that he gave out, and this is what, this is why. What they I, say about the height? I mean, because that's pretty. They didn't, he just had to get over the color. <sighs> he just had to get over the, the skin pigmentation because the jurors is like. But the problem is they digested all of that and they believed yeah. it. Yeah. And that's why when I talk now and people ask me about wrongful incarceration, who do you be mad at? You, you, it's too many people. Yeah, arresting officers, right. detectives, uh, because it, it's almost like they all work together as a Every, separate cog in a bigger system. In a bigger system, like almost like they're trained to yeah. do that. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean. I. I can't imagine. You know. Uh. Can't imagine. Yeah. Know, going through that because I mean I know I was drunk every time. I got, yeah. I got, I got by with sometimes. I should have been uh, more DWIs than I had, right? right. Uh, you know, and I deserved. I probably deserved way more than the five year sentences I got for my fourth and fifth DWI. You know, and uh, and wrongful convictions didn't really even didn't really even come into my mind until I was out one year and mm. I read in the Dallas Morning News. Yeah, you know about somebody. I can't remember who the first one was, but I read about. I read it might have been Charles. I think that's why I remember his Probably name. So. Uh, but I kept and I was like, wow, man. And then yeah. when I met Johnny, I told you yeah. I met Johnny Pinchback. Mm-hmm. When he told me his name, yeah. I remember Those, yeah. seeing his story on in the Dallas Morning News. So I yeah. so uh, and I was just like, wow, it blows me away. Yeah. Um now now we were on a panel one time and um uh, uh, somebody yeah. somebody yeah. said made made a comment about, you know, most everybody in prison is, is there for a reason and, you know, they right. committed a crime. You and I kind of took, a, not, not necessarily offense to it, but we wanted to kind of challenge, challenge that chain, that, 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 that train of thought because, because there are a lot of innocent people in prison. It is. It is. And it's not just one or two here and there. Yes. Uh, yes. It's a lot. Yeah. And I can't remember the stat I heard that the percentage and it put it like if you if you totaled all everybody in the nation. 10%. There was still like 90,000 people More or so. Than More than that. That are innocent. Yeah. You that look, blows me away. So what's what what people say is if you have a population of two million people incarcerated, they estimate ten percent <coughs> of the two million is innocent. Wow. That's about two hundred thousand yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and they even boil that down. Let's just look at the unit that I was on, Cofield unit, one unit. Benjamin Spencer, Johnny Pinchback, Andre Carrage, Christopher Scott, Stephen Phillips, Ricky Wyatt. Wow. Uh James James Bird. And this is just a unit. You this were is on. one unit. One unit. Yeah. And we were also concentrated, even in the law library, that's how I found my first writ of Habeas Corpus. Yeah. Ricky Wyatt. Ricky Wyatt did over 30 years and he's out and he's exonerated. So it's a bigger picture, but I, I view our criminal justice system and society like a broken marriage. Or uh it's one of those marriages where stuff is happening and they just turn the other head. Yeah. Just for the sake of security, I'm going to stay in this relationship, this abusive relationship or whatever. I'm not going to say nothing about it because I feel more secure knowing I'm in this relationship than if I do anything about it. Because, I mean, I guess I always wondered, okay, why do, why do the people, we see documentaries like making 
Making a Murderer with mm-hmm. Stephen Avery, and and you see how they coerced all the uh, the, the witnesses there, and and different ones, uh, the Innocent Man, uh, yeah. John Grisham, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and and then just knowing your story, you know, knowing that there was a couple of witnesses that were kind of, you know, coaxed into, yeah. into saying certain things, you know, and and uh, what is the motivation? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's two. I think it's two motivations here. Well, well, three. Um, but I think the first motivation is it's it's to calm the communities. Okay. Uh, uh, so uh, right or crime, wrong, we just gotta we gotta say we got we gotta the guy. Do something. So everybody can, and we look good at the same time. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's so one of the other motivations. That, pride. We, we gotta make sure that if we are law and order, then we, when something happens, we are. Journey on the spot, and we're taking care of to make sure the community feels safe, even if it really isn't a, safe. Like giving them a, a suspect, giving them right a or wrong. sending them through the process, you know, in that way. The other thing is when your um, elevation in your job is dependent upon the convictions. Mm. I was going to ask you: Was there a, is it election year that year? <laughs> yeah. So e- even with that, when 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 your job depends on how many convictions you have, you're going to do what you need to do to make sure that you stay. in So your- in that case, even though the prosecutor may be the one calling yes. all the shots, it, it may be because of peer pressure, peer and pressure from the system, yeah. for him to get a guilty conviction. So he's going he may cross some lines. Yeah. And push some envelopes to get that. Yeah. What type of prosecutor? You'd never win a clay yeah, case. Yeah. What do you? You know. So how do we fix it? You know, I, I think that people really need to just understand what justice is. Yeah. You know, justice involves not only you know um, uh, uh, retribution for those that commit a crime. Justice is also the ability to vindicate those who have been impacted by this same system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because we are imperfect people. And we got to understand that first, I am imperfect, so if anything that I've done that has caused harm on somebody, I need to make those same adjustments to do what's right. And so from our prosecutor's standpoint, it's nothing really that we can do to stop wrongful convictions. Well, let's talk about yours specifically. Yes. I'm gonna show you because I was at I was at a Hope Summit. Mm-hmm. Yes, when Judge Kemp talked. Yes, yes, and she yes, looked yes. at you and said that she could not believe you had a guilty sense because she was she was listening, watching, and so she couldn't even believe. Right. So right. if she couldn't believe, right? Why why did that thing get why did that thing get done the way it got done? You know what I mean? So right. so if if the quote unquote evidence was there for the prosecution to push it through. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a lot of evidence the other way too. So right. why our jurors? So yeah. you end up with the jurors that if you the first thing happens when you file appeal, the courts will say the jurors are, are the sole people yeah. that we feel. And so every, jurors need to understand that they are in those seats for more than just yeah. to say how much time you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to make sure that that prosecutor has done his job. We let prosecutors off the hook too quick. Yeah, yeah. And we lean towards the lawyer to prove that this person knows. So I think that we as people need to start making sure the prosecutors do their job. And the second thing is I feel like the judge is the orchestrator of justice. 
The judge is not doing what they're supposed to do. They're letting things go on, and I think they have levers that they can use to make sure justice is harmonious. Harmonious. Yeah. Yeah. It's flowing from both and sides. And they have the power to do that, but they don't always They, don't, they, don't they always just use sit it. back and, and just let you get and in their hearts of hearts. They know. Yeah. They can stop it if they feel like this is not enough evidence. Yeah. They are railroading. So you got the jurors and the judges that's really sitting back. Letting this half evidence or overcooked evidence. So that phrase, that phrase, jury of your peers, is uh, it really ever uh, no. a jury of the, the defenders, the, the defendants' peers? Mm-mm. Because, you know, I'm just like, you know, sometimes there's racial disparity, sometimes yeah. there's gender disparity, sometimes there's uh, uh, economic disparity. Mm-hmm. So, how in the world do you really get? You know, I I always thought, you know, if you're going to put somebody on trial Mm -hmm. and they've committed the crime in your eyes, why not get a jury of criminals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) People that have committed crimes to come and and judge this. Because if you get people on that jury that have never had anything to do with the law, never been in trouble. Yeah. You know, because if I'd never been in trouble and you, you know, you run into people like that, that right. have never been in trouble and they just think they're better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. There's not, not a lot of people, but there's some. Yeah. Very but if you few. get those people on that jury, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're thinking one way, they're already bent towards one way. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. well, man, this has been really good. So, uh, from a judicial standpoint, yeah. Do we sentence people too long for crimes? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, from judicially wise, I think that, um, you know, there is no type of rule of measurement um, when it comes to giving people time. Um, and what is the time used for? Yeah. I think that's the other thing. Is this is this for preventative or is this just punitive? Well, you know, it, our system, it's 100% it's, it's punitive. It's 100% punitive. <laughs> and so if it's 100% punitive, then the amount of time is, is irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's strictly just to punish you, then to give a person 50 years or, or 20 years for drugs, you know, and you're not doing anything within that yeah. 20 In years. In fact, if you take all the volunteer programs mm-hmm. out of prison, mm-hmm. I don't know how much rehabilitative prison, oh, prison is. It, it's not. I mean, if you, if, you, if you just take away all these people that have volunteered to say... I see a need for this type of program in prison. Can we come help? Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not getting paid to do it. They're mm-hmm. not, they're, they're, if you take away all those, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the state does anything rehabilitative. No, and, they don't. And, and you got some people that work for the state that'll argue and I'll, I'll go toe to toe with them. I don't uh, think Cause I've been do. there, done that. Yeah. You know? and, if, I mean, it, uh, unless they count, the, the vocational trades that don't have a, a air jack where you can't get up <laughs> under the car and they still working on these cars that, that's gone, uh, the fuel emission and put them out of style. Yeah. Or yeah. you look at uh, uh, carpentry. Yeah. That's, that's, that is as And even much, some of the computer the computer classes in there, you know. AutoCAD release 12. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this was the class that I took. I mean, I got my associate's degree. And that was the first class that I took, AutoCAD Release 12. And our teacher was telling us, this is drafting, computer-aided drafting. Our teacher is telling us, where we're like at release, this is obsolete. Well, what are we using it for? I mean, you know, so even the training, you feel so far behind, even with that coming out. I think it's gotten better a little bit, but 
But uh, but it still has a long it way has to go. It. Long way. You it, has it? <laughs> it? It has it. Because you look at it like this here. The most that we are doing as a state. Well, I feel like what was offered to me uh, 14, 15, 16 years ago, yeah. what was offered to me then, yeah. uh, it seems like the things that I hear that they're being offered now mm-hmm. seem a little bit a little bit better than what was offered to me back then. That's the only reason I say yeah. it. It may, well, have, it may have gotten a little better since I've been out because I've been out 14 years. 14. It'll be 14 in April. So, so I would say, so they, they had like these programs. And this is my only challenge with these cognitive programs. I done done 14 years and now you're going to send me through a one-year or a six-month program. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Now that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I so get it. So from the state standpoint, I yeah. feel like that there is still a lot more that can... When I was on Cofield Unit, we had a company that came, and it was the first company that they that started paying people to work. I feel like the states can pay people to work because yeah. that can yeah, offset yeah. a burden when they get out. But the first starting salary was like fifty cents an hour. But people are jumping through loops and hoops, and this was a trustee job. Wow. You had to be in the trustee building to work this particular job. Wow. I'm not gonna name the company. But the fact that it was possible to pay people to work, which creates value, which is now this person, when they get out, they don't want to be an entrepreneur because they have learned true work ethics in an institution that they didn't really understand how they have value when they do work. Well, see, I was at a a unit called the Lockhart facility, Mm -hmm. Lockhart Work Facility. And it's all female now, but back when I was there, it was half female, half male. And they had two free world companies, only unit like it in Texas. And it started, mm. I think, in the mid-90s. But only unit like it in Texas. And they had two free world companies that had major manufacturing plants on the outside. Mm-hmm. But they had two warehouses for each company on the inside of the prison walls, mm-hmm. the fence. And so I went to work every day for this mm. company. And I got paid six bucks an hour. Wow. Minimum wage was only five eighty five out in the world. Yeah. So I was making six dollars. I was making more than some people out in the world. In the world. But there's only one, and 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 I know that this, and it's a, it was a private ran by Geo, so it wasn't yeah. run run by the state. But I know that the state was getting you know a percentage of of the profit. Yeah. Um. You know. So, and and those st- the, the 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 unit that unit even though it's all female there's still two companies. Mm-hmm. One of them is still, I think, onshore, which is like a circuit board company. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what the other one is now, but but it's still going on. Yeah. And I don't understand why there can't be more, because there's lots of companies yeah, that would be willing to bring that type of program yeah. uh, to the state. I don't yeah. know why the state can't do it on their side. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're doing it, but they're... Now they're, they stopped they're, it. They're, oh, they stopped that? Okay. Yeah, that, comp- that company left before I left. It okay. made parole way before I made parole. <laughs> So, uh, uh, what's wrong with our parole system? Anything? It, it man, it's a lot wrong with our, our our parole system. Is a separate entity yep. from the TDC system, and it's from a separate entity from the Dallas. It, it exists in its own world, and it's based upon paperwork. And Did you not, have to do parole until no, you got I didn't. fully. So when they let you out, they just they 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 considered you. Um, they just let it was me enough go. A to, PR not, bomb. to not be on parole anymore. Yes, I was on but a PR you still bomb. Had to, okay, right. Yeah, so um, for two and a half years, I just had to report back to the judge to just let him know I'm out, okay. I'm working, blase this and blase that. Gotcha. So I, I, our first real dealings with the parole system was when we started Miles of Freedom yeah. and just interacting with different parole officers, the leg monitors, Do and all those Do you feel like sometimes you're in, you're in, 
you're working the opposite direction that parole's working. Yeah. Trying to help these guys. Yeah. I mean, there are some great parole it, officers. And there are some faith, faith-filled faith parole officers that yeah. have their hands tied with a policies that are barbaric right. and antiquated. Right. Uh, right. And, and the monitor system, I think, is, is, is one of those antiquated systems that uh, was started... Uh, self-admitted by a deputy director of parole in Austin. I had an hour-long conversation when when our when a local parole officer wouldn't even let the guy who was just doing nothing at the house and I mm-hmm. and I come back with a van full of food and he asked the parole officer if he could step into the garage to help me unload the van mm-hmm. and the parole officer would not let him. Yeah, and that yeah. Made, that and I'm just like look. If we're both trying to create productive citizens, mm-hmm. you telling them that they can't help unload a van yeah. is not productive. Mm-hmm. You telling them they can't go check the mail, they can't take the trash out, they can't cut the yard, and, and they're and and they go through seasons. Yeah. You know, if I call, yeah. if I call uh and, and talk to somebody and then, mm-hmm. you know, they it's funny because uh, uh some of the new guys will get out and they're like, Oh yeah, officer officer so and so knows who you are. And I said, yeah, you like to stir up some trouble every now and then. Because <laughs> I will call. I mean, I'm a chain of command guy. But if right, I don't get a call right. back from you, I'm going above your head, above your head, above your head. But, man, it's. I just feel like sometimes I'm working against them. You know, I'm yeah. like, I thought we were supposed to be helping these guys become productive citizens. So You know, I, I think that, you know, for us, and that's those that's been impacted by the system, there's always a stereotypic um, uh, barrier that we're going to have to first get over before we even try to right. show them that we're right. trying to do something that's beneficial for the whole. They first got to get over our past, our background to even challenge yeah. how we even create a better system. So, right. you know, in the, the stance of parole, you know, we have a lot of great officers, but I think the problem goes back to the prison system yeah. itself. Yeah. You know, our prison system, we haven't, we've only had, what, two administrations that's tried to change it. And that was the Beto administration and the Ellis administration. And those were so far back. Nobody else has really came in with a type of overhaul for the prison system. No other, no other administration. And I thought that that maybe that would gain some traction with all the things that have been going on with the air conditioners and Mm -hmm. not doing what they're supposed to do. And then all the contraband that was found on, on uh, the unit out there uh, in central Texas. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. I thought that there was going to get some traction to, to, to make some changes. Yeah. yeah. But it just seems like everything's died down again, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, hopefully it'll gain some more traction when the summer rolls around, that heat starts getting back up to 120 again. Yeah. Um, man, people don't realize. And even when the uneducated people say, Oh well, they did the time, you know. You know, yeah. so, I mean, a crime. They should do the time, no matter how bad it is. Right, right. And and I, and I ain't gonna lie. I had it nice at the at the at the Lockhart work facility. I had central air and heat. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, when I first got there, they were ordering their commissary was ordered out of a catalog. Right. I got right. there and there was fresh produce <laughs> in my cellies. I'm like, you must work in the kitchen. They're like, no, this is commissary. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Wow. Now, a month later. They yeah. switched to the CDC commissary. Yeah. No more ordering out of catalogs. No yeah. more Nikes. You got a one piece of no paper. More, yeah. <laughs> and be lucky if you can flip it over with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man. So. But it was different. You know, I think with that, you know, Cofield unit was totally different. Yeah. Cofield unit was uh, no central heating and air. Um, all brick and glass. Oh. You know, if you're on the, uh, 
um, on, on the west side of the building, you know, it's going to be 105, 106 degrees in the summertime. We were just there. I was there with Mike Barber. Right. We were there. And, uh, and yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> brick and glass is all Brick it is. and glass, you know, and everything is hard. It, it just shows, I think, that there are things that our system can do to prepare those individuals that's incarcerated yeah. uh, to be better citizens. I, I think that's the biggest thing. They're, they could do a better job, and that would make our job easier. That would, Yes, it would. So, it um, would. So, all right, real quick, tell me everything. Real quick, go through a list. I'm, I mean, they can go to the website. They can come come to the actual yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, but for families listening that have people getting out or the people that are already out that just need a, a fresh start, what do you offer, and how yeah. can they get a hold of y'all? Yeah, so... Um, Overall, for individuals that have a felony on their record that's been directly impacted by the criminal justice system, what we offer is direct case management. We have interns that will help you get your government IDs, that's ID, birth certificates, etc. Um, we have employers that we will refer you to once we feel that you um, are employable. Um, we do not want um, anything to um, impede on future people getting employment, um, resume building, all of that types of stuff. We also have a workshop, a job readiness workshop that we host twice a year. Okay. The workshop is a deeper dive in financial literacy. It's taught by Frost Bank, and we have a nine-lesson curriculum that really deals with soft skills, and that's basically skill sets that you need to maintain employment. Um, we also get you permanent employment after that. For individuals that are looking for immediate monies, we have what we call transition to employment. So we have a lawn service, um, and depending upon, depending upon the lawn contracts, we can hire you in okay. on the lawn service, and you get a daily stipend for working on the lawn service or our fresh produce distribution center where we are doing produces to the communities you can work in there as well. Gotcha. For families impacted, we have a shuttle service. Uh, we're now transporting family members to the Tennessee Colony area prisons. Uh, we're doing that three times a month now, every first, second, and third Saturday. And in at the month. time of this recording, uh, we're right in the middle of the coronavirus, so yes. that's probably stopped. Yes, uh, yes but yes, as yes. soon as all this passes by, yes. uh, you know, then um, and, and hopefully it'll already be, be passed by by the time we get this uh, yes. uploaded. But um, uh, so, so the transportation, transportation, three times uh, a month, you said three times a month, That's first, awesome. second and third Saturday in the month. We're looking to expand to other units as well. We want to be a service to, you know, just all of our prison systems as best as possible. And the final thing is always being in the community. So we work with the Martin Luther King Jr. Center doing their back to school events uh, and things like that, that just puts us in a position to um, be of service to the community. Uh, not just the people that's been impacted by incarceration or their families. All right. And so if, if somebody comes down here, they can get some services and your, and your autograph at the same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the services is probably worth way more than my <laughs> autograph. But yeah, if you want that, <laughs> for future references, you can get it. Well, Richard, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate all you do. And, uh, you know, I hate that you went through what you went through. Yes, sir. But to see the fruit that has come out of all that, to see... You taking uh, using your pain as yes. a passport to help all these people that you're helping. Um, you've inspired me as well, and um, and I know you're an inspiration to a lot of other people. So thank all you right. for being here, and uh, and we will have all the connections that he's 
uh, put the website and all that. We'll put links to all that on the show notes that you'll be able to click. And uh, But follow him on Facebook. He, he always yes. has some great stuff on Facebook. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, Richard sir. Miles and, and Miles of Freedom also has social yes, media, Miles right? Freedom, Instagram and, and Facebook. Yes, sir. So, all right, man. All right, we appreciate hey, wh- you. Hey, who's your favorite football team? Man, you know what? If I watch sports, I'm not a sports fanatic at all. I kid okay, you not. all right. I think that's flashback from being in the day room hearing all that scream. Now, were you a sports fan before you were impacted no. negatively by the day room in prison? I have. You I've, never have been? Okay. I am not athletically inclined at <laughs> all. <laughs> but by virtue of me being from Dallas, I would probably have to say it's the Dallas Cowboys. All right, all right. I won't hold that against you. I know, I I'm know. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but uh, but that's all right. Our, oh, all of our fan base is Cowboys. So thanks again, once again, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, thank God you. God bless you. All right. God bless you too. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening today. That wraps up this episode of Background Check. But man, I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing Richard. He's not only a friend, but I got to know the in the you know the inside scoop of everything and how it went down and just to hear him talk about everything in a candid way, an honest way. And um, man, 10% of all the people we have incarcerated in the United States, uh, there's a chance 10% is innocent. So just keep that in mind when you talk about inmates and incarcerated people. We've had some guys come through forgiven felons that have uh, been convicted of crimes but are working right now to try to get their cases uh, dropped and be exonerated because they're innocent. And so, so we know, we know if it, it, it hits firsthand um, to, to us as well. So, but listen to you families that have loved ones that you believe are innocent, don't give up. Don't give up. There's hope. There's hope. Get a hold of Innocence Project, the, the Centurion, and all these other places that help people. Try to do whatever you can. And I know we got a guy that came through forgiving felons. He couldn't get any help, but but he's doing it on his own, and he's already got the attention of the Supreme Court. He passed three polygraphs when he got out here and that all basically stated he was innocent of the crime that he was convicted of. But um, but So don't give up, and don't look at everyone that says they're innocent like they're weird and that they, they are guilty because there is a chance that they truly are. So I, I was guilty of my crimes. I did my time, and uh, I probably deserved a whole lot more. But uh, thank you guys again for listening. If you want to get involved with Miles of Freedom, check out his social media, their website, Google, search them. Their uh, website and everything else is in the show notes. If you ever want to go help them hand out produce or if you're a family and you need you need a ride to, to the prison weekends uh, because your car's broke down or whatever, don't, don't ever do without. So um, thanks again for listening. We can't wait for the next episode where we do another background check. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.